Tranny wreck, 29. You thought I was going to make a joke, didn't you? Fuck you. Podcasting from Portland, Oregon, this is Tranny Rack. today's episode, I interview Schnauzer Logic Radio host, Robin Goldsteed. Well, basically, I'm going to eat her pussy, so if you have a problem with that, go fuck yourself. How the hell is everybody doing? My name is Rebecca Nay, and you are listening to Tranny Rec Radio. Whether you are listening through my stream on trannyrec.com, or MySpace, or the stream on TransFM, or through podcasting, or you are listening to this in your sleep because I own you. Either way, thank you so much for listening. I've got a great show lined up for you. Don't I always have a great show? Well, maybe not. But today is a great show, and you're going to have to trust me on this one. But first, we're going to kick the show off by playing a song of a lighter nature. This is, of course, off of the Podsafe Music Network. It's called The Suburban Struggle by Quiz. There's an untold story in suburban America. Finally, one man brave enough to tell its tale. Now we've all heard about struggling in the city. But let me tell you, suburban life's not so pretty. This ain't no dance craze, this ain't no lie. The suburban struggle is what we do to get by. I got people in this city, folk, who think double whack. Just cause they don't know what goes down on the cul-de-sac. I got scars enough to prove it. We risk it so we don't lose it. If I had a redo, there's no way that I would choose it. Don't bruise it, you'll lose it. We're just as tough as the city. Even though we're suburban, doesn't mean we need pity. You'll be best to believe me, suburban streets will Is it correct? 
That was, of course, Suburban Struggle by Gwiz, G-W-I-Z. Not Jizz, Gwiz. I'm sure they haven't heard that joke before. Uh, courtesy, of course, of the Podsafe Music Network. You can find that in the show notes or just by going to music.podshow.com. Yes, they were singing about how hard it is to live in the suburbs because we all know that uh, us poor white folks living out in the suburbs have it so much worse than all the elite people of color living in the city. So let's go ahead and let's see what the fuck else was I I have show notes here, but my brain is not going to them. Oh, yes. I do want to apologize for the shitty audio quality of last week's commute cast. I did mention that uh, the audio quality was going to be worse, but I didn't realize how bad it was going to be until I listened to it uh, coming off of the podcast feed. You know, I, I tend to do that to try and critique my own show. Um, uh, trying to listen to it from the same, I guess you could say, standpoint that you guys do. And I have to say, it, it fucking sucked. So before I use the iRiver again for a commute cast, I'm going to have to tweak the settings and possibly maybe get a different or better microphone. So, uh, that's enough apologizing. If you don't like my apology, well, go fuck yourself. Well, that's the second time I've said that tonight. Well, some of you like it when I say go fuck yourself, so I'll say it again. Go fuck yourself. I'm in a really good fucking mood tonight. It is Friday night. Uh, I normally mention the date at the beginning of the show, but I didn't. It's Friday, June 2nd, 2006. And uh, normally I do the recording of the show on a Sunday, but I've got a lot of stuff going on this weekend. Um, an organization that I've told you about called Affirmation is in town. Uh, Affirmation Gay, Lesbian, Mormons. They're doing a leadership uh, conference just for the leaders here in town. And uh, they've invited me to attend. I'm going to be talking with them about possibly getting a podcast started for Affirmation. And uh, a few other things. I am the official, I guess you could say, coordinator or contact for transgender people who identify as Mormon in one way or another. but So, you know, just a lot of things to do, a lot of things to talk about this weekend, and uh, a lot of good friends that I haven't seen in a while. So I'm recording the show tonight, which I have to say, I am very high energy tonight because I just started my vacation. I don't have to go back to that shithole called work for like a week and a half, and the, the obviously there, I you know I've told you, and I guess this is a great segue into a work update. Um, things at my job have gotten a lot better recently. Let's just say that I am uh, pessimistically optimistic, uh, if that makes any fucking sense. Um, Basically, I, I'm working a new report now to where I'm not on the phone all fucking day, which is really nice. And there's also a new manager in the department, not my manager. I mean, the manager that I'm reporting to now is somebody who I don't know really well, but so far I, I really like. 
Uh, but this other manager that's in the department, the reason I bring him up is because um, he and I and another manager are going to be undertaking a task of creating a podcast. And basically, I work in the fraud department of this bank, who I will, which I will not name on the show. And what we're going to be doing is creating a podcast that's directed towards local branches about fraud. And uh, I'm not going to go into any more detail on that because, frankly, I don't have them. But I am really excited about the opportunity to get involved with doing something that I absolutely love in an environment that I hate. Boy, is that a mind fucker and what? Uh, so, so that's really cool. Uh, the opportunity to really, I guess, podcast on a professional level because, yes, I will be getting paid to do this, even if it's going to represent a very small amount of the time that I spend uh, at work. Um, I'm also, looks like I'm going to get the opportunity to take some technical training courses on website development and uh, XML, RSS, JavaScript, and all of that stuff uh, through uh, online training courses that are offered through my employer. And uh, the the reason they offer them is because uh, having these skills can make me a more uh, qualified and marketable employee within the company. Um, so, so that's how they justify offering them. But the idea that I can take these classes that will help me improve uh, this hobby that I love, that I hope to, if, that I hope will become more than a hobby someday, um, that really makes me fucking excited. So. You know, even though I'm going to be away from my job for a week and a half, um, you know, it'll be great because I'll I'll have time this week to start working on the website for the eventual stand-up comedy cap uh, podcast that uh, I'm going to be doing. And you notice I I don't talk much about that on this show because well I don't want anybody to steal my idea so. But but it is out there, and if somebody really wanted to, they could. So if I'm the only one that believes in the the possible marriage of stand-up comedy and podcasting, then, hey, I don't mind being on an island alone because it's really going to take off once this vision I have uh, uh, comes forth. So... That is really exciting, and I'll have a lot of time. See, if the weather's really nice, I'll be able to get outdoors and enjoy it. But if the weather sucks and it's rainy, which this is Rose Festival week here in Portland, Oregon, and it usually is rainy here, so I should be able to have a lot of time to do geeky stuff. So that's my life right now in a nutshell. Um, Not much else to talk about. Uh, We've got a... What I've got for you tonight is the first part of a really good interview that I did with Robin Goldstein, who is the creator and radio host of a show called Schnauzer Logic, which is listed on the Trans FM webpage and is also going to be included in the show notes. And I'm going to let 
Robin Goldstein herself explain who she is and what she's all about. Here's the interview. Robin Goldstein, straight white Buddhist vegetarian lesbian fraternity boy trapped in the body of a recovering transsexual woman patent attorney with a bizarre sense of humor and a master's degree in city planning. Thank you so much for joining me on Trinity Rec Radio. Thanks for asking me to be a part of your show. It's terrific. I really appreciate it. And uh, I- I'm happy to explore whatever you'd like. Nice. Well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that little intro because I was going to try and read it and ask you what the fuck all that means. But uh, to be honest with you, I... I yeah, I, I listen. I actually do listen to your show, believe it or not. Um, and uh, you you kind of explained it in one of your episodes that one of the reasons you use that intro is because uh, you uh, hate labels. Is that correct? It is true. You know, I I transitioned originally male to female probably ten years ago, something like that, and was really struggling with it because. Um, you know, the progress that's been made from a political, social point of view, it, it may not seem like very much has been done uh, recently, but if you look at things that were going on even 10 years ago, you find that there's just a tremendous, uh, tremendous move. But, but 10 years ago, I think people in the trans community were still very locked to labels. I know folks are locked to labels today. I mean, it hasn't changed completely, but there was a real lockstep to labels. Uh, I think... People felt that being stealth uh, after transition was really the only way to go. And and those of us who felt that being transgender um, and that um, perhaps non-op and and, uh, sort of not in the closet about our own transition but comfortable with our entire life experience, there there was a certain outcast quality to that. And I was struggling with it because I wasn't able to find anyone in the trans community um, perhaps with the exception at that point of Nancy Nangeroni, who I, who I had met and become friends with, who really described my own trans experience. And I remember sitting on the couch and being very distraught because I had been uh, in a therapy session with a gender therapist that day who was pressing me to define myself in ways that I think she felt were more appropriate. And I thought to myself, I, you have an explicit podcast. I can use any language I want. Is that fair? Uh, yes, you can say, okay. honey, <laughs> my listeners are very used to explicit language. Wonderful. <laughs> and so I remember I remember sitting on the couch and thinking to myself, fuck, why am I being locked into, uh, into terms that don't feel right to me? If I had to describe myself, I feel like a straight white fraternity boy trapped in the body of a transsexual woman. And at that moment, a light went on. And I thought to myself, it's that duality. It's feeling as though I'm not some androgynous in the middle person. In fact, I'm a- embracing both extremes. If I had to define myself, I'm not in the center. I'm clearly in one camp and the other camp at the same time. And, you know, Buddhism accepts that as being a possibility. Taoism accepts that as being a possibility. Western philosophy, not so much. And so, being a, a fraternity boy trapped in the body of a transsexual woman was the genesis of that phrase. I then began to tack little bits onto that and ultimately became a straight white Buddhist vegetarian lesbian fraternity boy trapped in the body of a recovering transsexual woman patent attorney with a bizarre sense of humor and a master's degree in city planning. The recovering part got added 
when I transitioned yet again from female to male. And, 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 I don't and, see. And I, and I would I do want to get back get get back to that. Uh, definitely. Sure. Uh, what I'd like to do is go back a little bit further. I kind of tend to do this with all of my guests, just as kind of one of those staple questions uh, that is very open-ended. Uh, how old were you when you first recognized you were different? And I use the term different very loosely, uh, like I do with I everything knew... in my life. Oh. Sure, sure. I I think that I began to have a sense of gender mismatch, if you will, somewhere around the age of two, three. Um, I remember being a little boy and looking at the little girls and thinking to myself, I'm supposed to be a little girl. I recognized that I wasn't a little girl, but at that point in my life, I, I didn't realize that simply because I was a little boy, I couldn't become a little girl. And so I would play with the little girls and understand myself to be a little girl and dress up with the little girls. And, and, and of course, and this was... How old were you when this was happening? Two, three, four Holy years shit. old. Stuff like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really, really young. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not greeted with a whole lot of uh, receptivity by my uh, New York uh, Jewish uh, Brooklyn parents. What the hell are you talking about? Why wouldn't they understand that? <laughs> Shit. What you talking about, Willis? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so what happened was, you know, I tried and then I tried again and then I tried again. And eventually over sort of the next, I would say probably between the ages of four and seven, I was shamed into understanding that you know, wanting to be a little girl was was shameful. That was not an acceptable thing for me to do, and and thus began the massive oppression. Uh huh. So over. So so so, and then you, uh, I I would is it safe to assume you know once you you know early on you you thought you know what I sh if I want to be a girl I should be able to, and then society very quickly said fuck you. Uh, you have to be a boy because, you know, we're in a retarded gender binary system. Um, so so once so the oppression started right around six. So if I'm understanding correctly at that from from that point on, you started uh, conforming or attempting to conform. That's right. The man was keeping me down. That motherfucker. Um, Let's kick motherfucking his ass man. right now. The man was keeping me down. <sighs> Son of a bitch, man. I hate the man. I'm going to get the man. Goddamn man. Oh, that, oh, that motherfucker. See, now you're talking like me. Hell yeah. Um, so, 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 I think so how long did, the, did the conformity last? So, so what happened was, you know, I, I realized, oh, I guess I'm not a little girl. I'm never going to be a little girl. And not only that, but it's bad to feel this way. And so I, I, I can't express myself. Well, of course, the moment you begin to repress any of these feelings is the moment you begin to really twist and fuck up your innards. Mm -hmm. And that went on for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, something of that nature. Um, I remember exploring cross-dressing as a, you know, prepubescent child. Um, I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't explain why. But, of course, whenever I did it and I was caught, uh, I was chastised and I was shamed. And so 
I began to feel bad about myself. And when puberty came around, suddenly feeling bad about myself took on sexual components, and suddenly I felt good about feeling bad about myself. So all of this twisted psychosexual stuff became a part of who I was, and I started cross-dressing mm -hmm. to, you know, erotic pleasure. I mean, it was... It was fun to cross-dress. Mm -hmm. It was also guilty to cross-dress. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there was this duality. The part of me realized that it felt good to do this, um, that masturbating as a, you know, as a young boy uh, in women's clothing felt really good. There was another part of me that felt incredibly guilty and dirty and wrong and evil and sick and twisted. There was another part of me that thought, I must be gay. There was another part of me that thought, this doesn't feel like what gay is all about because I don't know much about gays at 13 and 14, but I see my parents talking about fagalas, you know, the, the Yiddish word for, for fairy, uh -huh. for, for gay. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I don't think I'm a fagala. And so I didn't have any understanding of gender at that point. I think I have some memory of reading about uh, Kristen Jorgensen and, uh, you know, probably in the National Enquirer and things of that nature. And, and there was some glimmer of recognition at that point that maybe that's what was going on. But, but there wasn't a sense, you know, I think um, transgender people range, as you've just said, you know, it, it isn't a binary. And even within the transgender community, it's not a binary. Mm -hmm. And so I never experienced that sense of looking at my body and seeing my genitalia and thinking to myself, oh, that's bad, that's wrong, that's dirty, that doesn't belong on mm -hmm. me. I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I don't think that's right, but it's giving me tremendous pleasure. And so, you know, if you can't have the thing that you love, love the thing you have. See, and that's what really confused me when I was younger, because I didn't understand all the, what really being gay meant. I knew I had an attraction to boys, and I knew that that had something to, with with being homosexual so that's the label I pinned to myself because number one I was attracted to boys and number two mm -hmm. I had no problems with my penis because of all of the pleasure that uh, sure. I, I gained from it yet and and on the other and on the other side of that uh -huh. I, I've never been attracted to men uh -huh. and and so that was confusing in a way because I thought to myself gosh maybe I Maybe I should be gay, you know, as though oh, yeah. that, it's, it's such an interesting concept because the whole the whole religious right that this is a lifestyle choice. And I thought to myself, well, fuck, it would have been it'd be much easier just to choose to be gay. But it's not a choice. I was I was convinced wholeheartedly that my issue with myself was purely homosexuality and that if I embraced the, the fact that I was attracted to men, that the whole gender dysphoria would go away. And what I, I didn't really realize I was transgender until I got into the gay community and uh, realized that, you know, other gay men are repulsed by the feeling, you know, they adore their masculinity. I hated mine. And, you know, my listeners right. have heard that in variation several times. So, well, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> but, but, but see, I, I think it was a huge revelation to, to me to realize that transsexuality and transgenderism and whatever variations there are of that uh, are not, it's not about the genitalia. Yet, yes, a lot of trans 
people have issues with their gen- genitals, but a lot don't, you know. So, and that I, was a huge... Would... Once I realized that, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely trans. You know, I I would say that that for some transgender people, it's not about their genitalia. Mm-hmm. And I think that for some transgender people, it, it probably is about their genitalia. The The challenge is... I think having decided as folks who are trans that we're moving away from the the binary of uh, straight and gay, male and female, uh, chocolate and vanilla, we not get trapped again into another binary. And so, you know, what I what I told people early on when I when I went through my transition and realized you're, not you're, only was I transition- first transition. My first transition and realized that I was transitioning badly. You know, according to other people in the gender community, I was doing it badly. I remember going to a pride parade mm-hmm. and meeting up with a bunch of folks, uh, who I had known. You know, we sort of were the class of, I don't know, 93. We all sort of started together and everybody, you know, went through their, their counseling together with Millie or whoever was the appropriate person. And then we were all going to interview with Biber or Laub or whoever the people were. And, uh, and what happened was, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm all about, you know, random radio myself. So what happened was, I went through the process of getting qualified to have surgery. I was coming up on the one year period. I had been in the quote, real life test, whatever the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had gone to see a psychiatrist who, qual- you know, stamped my forehead and said that I could have my, you know, my penis cut and, off, and, that I was and, sane enough to and, mutilate and, my body. And, and I want to just interject really quick for the benefit of our, our listeners that are not familiar with the Harry Benjamin standards. Basically, what she's talking about is the Harry Benjamin, they're, they're known as the Harry Benjamin standard of, standards of care, which is not something I've explained on this show before, where basically... A trans per a transsexual. It's basically guidelines for, for for people who want to do a gender transition and go all the way to surgery. And before uh, a transsexual can get their surgery, and it's usually directed towards trans women because tr- the surgery for trans men is not that hot. Um, basically, the, the, the standards of care require a, a trans woman uh, to live full-time in the social role of a woman for a year before she can get her surgery. And, and that's what you're right. doing. That, that's what uh, you're taught. And that, that, that standard still exists today. And as far as I know, there are not really any surgeons out there that will touch you unless you followed these rules. So, and that's what you're talking about, correct? Certainly, certainly within the, the U.S. medical community, uh, I know that that's the case. The idea is obviously to protect people from making choices too fast. Yes. That, that's, you know, they come at it with as caregivers, and the feeling is first, you know, Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that you understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. So there's standards not only with respect to surgery, but also with respect to hormones and those kinds of things. I had done that. I had gone through the process. And so now I was at a place where I was going to be, you know, getting qualified to see a surgeon. So I needed to get those letters. And although I wasn't really motivated to do it, my therapist said to me, well, just do it, you know, get pre-approved. It's like getting a mortgage. You might as well know that you have the, the right to do this if you change your mind down the road. And I thought, okay, that made sense. 
went through the whole process, met the uh, psychiatrist, met the surgeon, met Don Laub, and uh, they were all very nice, and they said, gosh, you know, you seem really healthy and well-adjusted. You've got a good sense of humor. Um, you know, if, if you feel like surgery is the right thing for you to do, then we're happy to help you and uh, adjust your body accordingly. And I said, thanks very much, and I went home, and I had the dream. And this was really, I think, a, a, for me, a very important part of my own experience. And that night, I think it was that night, in my dream, the first part of the dream is kind of fuzzy to me. I was running through some back alley with someone that I know uh, who was also transgender, and I don't remember what the part of that was. It was something nefarious about that, and it was a CSI tranny thing. But <laughs> what I remember was it cut from one scene to the next, and in the next scene... I'm on a gurney in a hospital being rolled on my back into an operating theater, and I'm awake, and Laub is standing over me, and he says to me, do you want to be put under before you go in? And I said, no, that's okay. And so they roll me into the operating theater, and I'm perfectly awake, and here we are, and I'm lying on the table, and the doctor says to me, would you like a few moments alone before we begin the process? Many patients do. And I say, sure, that makes sense. So he motions for everybody to leave the operating room, and I'm lying there by myself, and I think to myself, wow, I've, I've waited my whole life to get to this point. This seems like a really important point for me. Maybe what I should do is say a, take a few moments and say a prayer of thanks and hopefulness and honoring the universe and whatever it was that got me here. And so I, I kind of put my head up, and I roll my legs over the edge of the gurney, and I bow my head, I put my hands together, and I'm sort of beginning to say a prayer of thanks when all of a sudden a room, a door in the side of the room bursts open, and this nurse comes in and she goes, lunchtime. And I say, lunchtime? We can't have lunch. We're, we're getting ready to have surgery. And she goes, nope, too late for that this morning. And besides, you'll do much better after the surgery on a full stomach. And so I think, okay, well... I don't think that makes any sense, but whatever. And look over to the other side of the room, and I realize that this big, round lunch table has been set up. You know, a formica table that you would see in a cafeteria in any institution or high school or what have you. And so, and all the doctors and nurses are sitting around the table waiting to eat lunch. So I, I get off the table, uh, the, the operating table, and I walk across the room, and I'm there in my gown, and I sit down next to Laub and some of the other people, and everybody's having conversation, you know, lunchtime conversation. And with that, the door comes open, and this nurse nurse walks in carrying this silver platter piled high with tuna fish sandwiches all cut on the angle. So there are all these triangular mm -hmm. half tuna fish sandwiches. And she puts it down in the middle of the table and everybody digs in and they start eating. And I think to myself, well, all right, I guess I'll do better if I have something to eat. So I reach over and I take a tuna fish sandwich half and I bite into it and it's the best tuna fish sandwich I've ever had in my life. The smell and the taste is just enough lettuce and little bits of pickle and mayonnaise and the bread is toasted just perfectly and I'm just, I realize this is the most sensual experience I've ever had and as I'm eating the sandwich I turn to my right to Dr. Laub and I say to him, you know I don't think I'm going to have surgery today and I realized at that moment that I said it out loud and I woke myself up and that was the point that I realized I'm not having surgery until I have another dream. Interesting. So, you know, that's, and you know, I, I, I have to wonder if uh, there's any like uh, symbol, symbol, you know, to, to, to tuna fish sandwiches. God, I've got a cock in my mouth tonight. I can't talk. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if there's any symbolism to the, the tuna fish sandwich, uh, you know, because when you said tuna Every, fish... Everybody I tell this... Any, go ahead. 
You know, it's funny. Everybody I tell the story to goes, oh, tuna fish, ha, 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 ha. And I think to myself, it really has no meaning to me. It's just a sandwich <laughs> that I like. But okay, whatever. You know, the strange thing is I am a vegetarian and was a vegetarian at that point as well. So I, I haven't eaten tuna fish sandwiches for a really long time. I, I don't, you know, it's a tuna fish sandwich. It's cut as a triangle. Dude, dude, do you know what it means? Sometimes a tuna fish sandwich is just a tuna fish sandwich. But at that point, I realized that I was not going to have surgery. Okay, now we cut back to the story that I began before. We sort of, I digress. There I am in the park after a pride parade with other folks who I've been with in the class of 92. And they're looking at me and they've okay, said to me, okay, are you scheduled? Just, just so, I might be, my listeners might be following, but I, I'm not sure I am. The, the, the story, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the story that you were telling before, you know, and I'm not even stoned. God, I'm so ashamed. Um, <laughs> the, the, the story that you were telling before the, the dream was about your first trans, about your, after your first transition. Talk, talking about my experience of transition and how I, I think that, you know, back then there was a way to do it, that the variation ah. in how we experience our agenda is so diverse. And yet, even within the trans community, there's a sense of trying to, to pigeonhole to people, conform. to get them to, to do things in a particular way. And my point was that I remember going to a, uh, a pride parade mm -hmm. in San, it wasn't, actually it was in Santa Cruz. And meeting up with someone who I had known and been to a bunch of support meetings and all of those kinds of things. And she looked at me and she said, uh, and I think that she had known that I had gone to have my, you know, my, my pre-surgical appointments with everyone and I was approved. You know, I was grade A certified tranny. And she said to me, uh, have you scheduled your surgery? And I said, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have surgery. And she looked at me and she said, oh, that's right. You're not serious about this. Yeah, I thought to myself, "You fucking bitch! I'm I'm as serious as a fucking heart attack." I mean, look at how look at all of the changes I've made in my life, and how I've basically lain myself completely naked to any wacko that may walk down the street, apparently including you, you fucking bitch, and and you have the the balls to tell me that I'm not serious about living my life in a way that seems genuine and authentic to me. And that was the point that I realized that, at least for me, the transgender community wasn't going to have very much to offer me in my transition, that I had learned what I needed to, gotten the support that I needed at that point, but that... What year was this, I had approximately? 92, 93. Okay. So about 12, 13 years ago. 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. And it's too bad because, you know, I had gone to Kansas City. I was at the trial of John Lauder, the, the trial in, in Nebraska, Boys Don't Cry, uh -huh. uh, in Lincoln, because I had, I had met up with Nancy Nandroni and Ricky Ann Wilchins and Leslie Feinberg and Marietta, and I knew those folks, and I wound up flying into Kansas City and then driving with them as the lawyer of the group and being part of one of the very first uh, trans, uh, transgen, uh, transsexual menace protests at that point, mm -hmm. and was in the courtroom and, and part of what was going on that day, because it was important to me to be active in the community. And then I thought to myself, But you're not, not really, really serious about it because you didn't want surgery. Apparently, I'm not really serious about it. So at that point, I thought to myself, you know what? I think Nancy I think we... probably is received, and I haven't gotten her and Gordina on the show, and Eventually, one of these days, when the stars are aligned, I'll get them on. But I think she feels 
has probably received a lot of the same criticism for for right and and I love her, and she was so important in my life because here was someone, it turns out she went to MIT and so did I. So here was someone who shared a similar cultural background, similar education background. Um, you know, we're both radio freaks. We're both techie types. We both have great sense of humor. And here was someone who decided for herself, I don't think this is the right choice for me now. Mm -hmm. I don't foreclose it forever. I just don't think it's the right choice for me now. And I thought... God bless you, you've probably saved my life in some important but small way because I know that there's at least somebody out there, and we, we do, we look for someone out there that we can at least latch on to, even if it's a very, very long tether. Um, but that was the point after coming back from the experience, writing about my experience in Kansas City. It was published in a couple of issues of one of the trans journals of the day. It's up on the web someplace you know, you Google Kansas City and Robin Goldstein, you'll find the article. It's it's out there in cyberspace. Mm -hmm. But that was the point that I thought to myself. I'll, 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 my, I'll, I'll try and find it and put a link to the show notes. It, I'll see if I can find it for you. But thank you. I realized at that point that my gender activism was going to be on my own terms. And so, you know, I wasn't going to be anyone else's tranny. I was going to be my own person, whatever the fuck that meant. Mm -hmm. And that's how I began to develop a comfort in the whole straight white Buddhist vegetarian lesbian fraternity boy. Did, did this uh, contribute to you detransitioning? The the fact that uh, uh, you didn't feel acceptance by the transgender community because uh, you weren't transitioning in the way that was kind of written in the rules. No, that really was, had nothing to do with it. I had I had transitioned, lived comfortably, worked, was employed, had friends. Um, had, you know, had rom sexual relationships um, in, in my, you know, newly acquired identity, body, role, life, hair, the whole thing. And, uh, and then went through some changes, you know, my dad passed away and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and sort of, you know, had me, had me think about what was going on because there were some things in my life that I realized, you know, with the passing of a parent, life is, life is precious and, and none too long. Even if it's a hundred years long, it's none too long. And so I had gone at that point. I had always loved radio, done radio when I was very young, local AM stations, college radio, walked away from it in order to basically be a professional, you know, in, in the legal practice and thought to myself, I owe it to myself to try to get back into broadcasting. And so, I went back to broadcasting school at the age of 40, started taking acting classes at UC Berkeley, uh, started taking broadcasting classes, the Academy of Radio Broadcasting out of Huntington Beach, California, you know, a West Coast broadcasting school, and realized that when I was in the studio and I was using this voice, this was not the voice that I had in my head. This was not the voice that felt appropriate to me when I looked in the mirror, that there was, again, there was this kind of disjointed nature of how I understood myself. And at that point, it felt to me like the voice behind the microphone had to match the voice in the mirror, that I needed to have congruency in my life at all times in all aspects of my personality. Obviously, I don't believe that any longer, but at that point, that felt important to me. And I really wanted to move forward with broadcasting. And I was... um Someone who had read uh, Gender Trouble by Judith Butler, uh, I think on the uh, on the recommendation of uh, Ricky Ricky Wilchins, 
And so I, I wasn't able to get past the first three or four pages because the whole postmodern stuff is just deadly dull bullshit. But what I do remember <laughs> her saying in the preamble was, and, and what I've got, what I've, what's so funny to me is I've gone back since then and reread the preamble to Gender Trouble and realized that not only did I not read the book, but I'm misquoting the fucking first, first page that I read anyhow. So I've, it's not even her quote, but I attribute it to her anyhow because I think it embodies the spirit of what she meant and what the quote is that i that i pulled from this was an open society will therefore permit the adoption and discarding of identities in accordance with the task at hand mm -hmm. and i thought to myself that's pretty powerful magic any society that says you can be whatever it is that you need to be in order to do whatever it is that you need to do i thought oh I, I like that that seems like a good mantra let me know and when so you find that, that society. <laughs> I'm moving there. <laughs> well, it's a society of one. Uh -huh. You know, it's my own society. It's, okay. It's the, it's the Robin Goldstein Society, and, and I think that becomes my form of activism, which is I live in a way that seems appropriate to me. I don't hurt anyone, but I don't apologize to anyone. I'm respectful of other people's differences, but I'm also respectful of the need to be honest and sincere and integrated with myself. So what so, that so means? So now, it, now, did this had, did this quote at this time influence you to detransition then and go back into so, a male role so you could pursue your radio dreams? It's interesting that you use that particular those two phrases. I I so I struggled for a very long time with the idea of detransitioning because mm -hmm. it it felt to me like I was going back mm -hmm. and that caused a tremendous amount of depression and so I meditated for a long time about this and uh, there's only been a couple of times in my life that I've heard voices that I can't attribute to um, mushrooms. And and both of them have to do with my transition. The first time was at a point Early in my transition, when the pain and the struggle and the, the loneliness of going through this process seemed overwhelming, and I remember standing by the microwave oven in my apartment, a kind of modern-day burning bush, and sort of screaming at the top of my lungs, why me? And the voice came to me and it said, because you can. And the voice was so loud and so clear that it stopped me from crying. I was just caught up short. I looked in the microwave oven, there was nothing there. And then I sort of asked again, I said, well, why not somebody else? And the voice was exasperated and it said, because they can't and you can. And at that point, I stopped asking questions. Five years later, I'm in another place where I realize that I feel stuck. And I, I said, I don't think that I know how to get out of this. I felt like I was in a cul-de-sac going around and around and around, that my path forward did not lead where I needed it to go and that it was sort of stuck. And I didn't want to go back. And the voice said to me, the way out is the way that you came in. And at that moment, I had this vision, this vision of, of sort of a roadway that passes over itself so that at some point you're actually in the same place in two dimensions, but not in three dimensions or four dimensions. So I never look at my transition as being a matter of going back or detransitioning. It's because it's not possible to do that. Even if I were to, even if I were to again, you know, from this point forward, you know, right now to, to stop taking hormones, to have surgery, to alter my body one more time, to cut my hair short and all of those things, there's no way that I would be the same guy again because I'm not the same person again because of all of the experiences, experiences that I had. had. And, and what it, 
as far as far so in, in which I understand and I think most of our listeners definitely do they um, better the uh, goddamn train wreck listeners if you don't understand <laughs> I'm gonna come kick your ass well actually most of them would probably like that so anyway um <laughs> so, so yeah, I've got some pretty uh, sadistic listeners I mean they have to to be listening to me so God bless you God, God bless, bless you we, I fucking love all of you I I I've propositioned my listeners on many occasions that uh, for for oral sex and a few of them have taken me up on it at least in the audio world. Um, God bless you, Rebecca. You're a great humanitarian. <laughs> so well, and when I say transition and detransition, uh, obviously you can't just like go back to being the the same person that you were prior to that because like I said life is very uh, linear it only goes in one direction uh, time continues to progress every well, moment dude, we're alive dude, you're not taking breaths we, we live and we learn and we're growing as a person so, dude, dude if, if time is linear to you you're not taking enough of the right drugs <laughs> oh in fact, shit in, see normally in, in fact, I only smoke pot I need to fuck <laughs> I need to get on that Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, here's here's how I here's how I look at it, which Uh is to say, which is to say that for me at the time that I transitioned again, well, here's an interesting thing. When I transitioned from male to female the first time, 1992, I felt the need to apologize and explain to everyone. And I was the world's nicest tranny, which is actually a small children's book that's coming out for uh, by me in uh, October of 2007, the smallest tranny. But nice. um, no, but what I wh- I felt the need to apologize and explain to everyone that I needed their approval and permission. Mm-hmm. When I transitioned again back to male. male or from female to male, I realized I didn't need anybody's fucking permission to do that. In fact. I was a little upset with myself with asking permission the first time around, but okay, water under the bridge, and I just did what I felt I needed to do to make me happy. Mm-hmm. When I transitioned yet again a couple of years ago, it was the same process. Now, obviously, transitioning female to male when you are male to female uh, transgender person is a little bit easier only because of the body type, height, those kinds of things. So it becomes easier for people just in terms of a visual kind of thing, although not completely, obviously, but there's some there's some ease. And yet what was surprising to me was that there were people that I had met, only female, who were now as equally disturbed by meeting me as male. And I thought, wow, this is really weird that I'm seeing people on both sides. Transitioning again, uh, as I said, I did uh, two years ago to transition one more time, um... Uh, this time I, I didn't even think about it. I realized not only do I have to look at what people are seeing in their eyes or their faces, this really has nothing to do with anybody but me. And, and I, there was no, you know, I, the third time's the charm, I guess, because there was no second thoughts about it. I thought to myself, what is it that I need to do to make me feel good about the way that I'm living right now? And I thought, oh, I need to be leaving, living female. Great. Done. Easy. End of story. What else do you need to do? I really got to lose some weight. I really got to clean out the refrigerator. I got to back up my hard drive. I got to change the oil. I got to, you know, it was on the same level as all of those other things. So that's something that has clearly changed in me by virtue of the fact that I've been through transition on multiple occasions. And I think the voice was right. The way out 
is the way you came in, but that doesn't mean that you're going back. You can't go back. You're just moving forward over the same space. Well, and see, and, and, and I, I'll, I'll add to that even further. Let's say 10 years down the road, you decide that, hey, you need to transition back for some reason. Who's to say there's anything wrong with that? I think the thing that our society has a problem with is the transition itself, not really the, 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 the identity before or afterwards. It's the transition. My life was a lot more difficult a few years ago when my gender was a lot more ambiguous than mm-hmm. it is today. And I, I, I almost find myself kind of slowly, and like when I first transitioned, I was wearing a lot of makeup. I was, I was trying to do everything I could to present a female appearance. To, to sure, pass, you're trying to give people cues. To, to pass, so to speak. So, so, so I would be left alone. And you know what mm-hmm. I'm starting to find the longer I live in the social role as a female is, you know, the less I really give a fuck. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, and, 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 and then... St- Exactly. See, see, you go, girl. You work those sound effects, girl. So that was the first half of the interview I did with Robin Goldstein, the host of Schnauzer Logic. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, the sec- There is more to come. The second half is going to be next week, where actually I, I get into talking about her radio career and her show, mm-hmm which is actually a, a very interesting show and very professional sounding. So uh, that's what you have to look forward to next week, Trenny Rec listeners. And uh, about the interview, as far as just this, the sound quality, I, I'm going to pat myself on the ass or the cheek or the back or my whorehole or whatever you want to call it, my extroverted uh, clitoris. I'm going to pat myself somewhere, maybe masturbate to it, because I have to say the audio quality is probably the best of any interview I've done so far. And basically what I did, I kind of cheated. Um, I, uh, we, we, we spoke on Skype, but the, in, the recording was done where she recorded her end and I recorded my end on a completely different application. And uh, I just kind of brought the two together. So it almost sounds like we're in the same room. Uh, so that was really fucking cool. And I think I'm going to do that from now on with when I interview other uh, podcasters. Of course, if they're willing to do that, which I think most will. In the name of great audio quality. So let's go ahead and uh, get this bullshit wrapped up um, with some uh, emails and voicemail. Uh, This voicemail I'm going to play for you is probably the most favorite voicemail I've gotten yet, because it is fucked up. Hi, Hi guys and girls. Would you like to have a lick at my ass? I would like to you pound in my pussy (laughs) and ass. And I like to take in my mouth all the meat of yours. And I would like to drink oh. all the cums to eat your sheep and mm. lick it dry and no need to wipe with water or 
people. You sick motherfucker. I will do whatever you want. I will make you neat with my tongue. Uh-huh. I would like to put my tongue in the pussy holes and I would like to put my tongue in the assholes of trannies. I used you to fuck with my tongue in the asses of a tranny. I love you. Anyone want to shit on my mouth? Please do it. If I don't want to have it, fuck in my ass. That dude is one sick mofo. I fucking love you. I, I look I looked up his Skype profile. He's from someplace in India. So man, there are some uh you know, I think there are probably sick and twisted people in every country of this glorious fucking planet. But, God, that fucking voicemail made me wet in a very sick and twisted way. So, thank you, whoever the fuck you were, for sending that. That was really fucking disgusting. If you want to leave a voicemail, my line is 503-608-7363 or 503-60-USE-ME. Got a quick email to read. It's from Ames, A-I-M-S. This person says, hello, I have just visited your site and listened to some podcasts. You have ended up and they were quite entertaining. I have a question. Would you be able to tell me what rock? what the rock music is right at the start of Tranny Rec 23 you talk over, that you talk over. Um, the answer to your question, Ames, is the song was Moses and Morty by George Harab. And you can actually uh, go to my website, trannyrec.com, and find the answer to that question as well. So uh, that's all the email and the, vo- the only email and voicemail I have. My email is trannyrec at gmail.com. Please visit my forum, the Tranny Rec Orgy Room, and spice it up. It was starting to get really active, and now it's starting to slow down again. And, uh, you know, like I said, I won't spam you. Just go over there and sign up. It's really quick and easy. You don't even have to sign up. You can uh, comment as a guest. But uh, I would love you to come over and visit my forum and give me feedback for the show. Uh, hopefully within the next week, I'll get trannyrec.com redesigned into a WordPress blog. I'm going to leave you with a Georgie Jessup song, uh, somebody I haven't played in a while. This is Good Day to Die off of her American Holocaust album and also, of course, per courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. I love you all. Until next week, go fuck yourself. What do we do now that the Bye.
suffering 